0: Good morning. It is wonderful to be with you all today. I'm encouraged to see so many faces here. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online to wherever you happen to be in the world, even if it is Myrtle Beach and you are less than Louise Muirhead. I want to go back in time for a second. The date was April 12, 1961. At the time, the United States and the Soviet Union were engaged in a Cold War with one another. That included this technological competition that we look to as uh, known as the uh, the space race, in which these two countries were competing with one another to see which would be the first to achieve spaceflight. Traveling aboard the space capsule Vostok 1 Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first human being to cross the threshold from Earth's atmosphere into outer space. And the Soviets, who followed an unofficial state policy of atheism at the time, quickly shared with the world that Gagarin said these words while he was orbiting the planet. I went up to space, but I see no God here. It's no longer actually believed that he said these words. But at the time, Soviet propaganda pumped out posters like the one that you see here, declaring in Cyrillic letters that there is no God. In response to this, famed author, C.S. Lewis, penned an absolutely brilliant letter, an essay, in which he argued the following. He wrote, looking for God by exploring space is like reading all Shakespeare's plays in the hope that you will find Shakespeare as one of the characters. Shakespeare is in one sense present at every moment in every play, but he's never present in the same way as a character like Falstaff or Lady Macbeth. If God does exist, he's related to the universe more as an author is related to a story than as one object in the universe is related to another object. So to look for God as just another object in the universe, Lewis explains, would be nonsensical. He goes on to explain that one might imagine a story in which the dramatist introduced himself as a character into his own play and then was thrown offstage by the characters in that play, as an imposter. We have a real instance of this in Dante's Divine Comedy. Here, in that play, Dante is both the muse outside the story, inventing the whole thing, as well as a character inside the story. The other characters in the story hear and see and meet Dante, but they haven't even the faintest suspicion that he is making the whole world in which they exist and that he has a life of his own outside of it. In a very similar way, Christ was perceived to be God by very few people indeed, perhaps for a time only by St. Peter, who would also, and for the very same reason, have found God in space, so to speak. For Christ said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Peter, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I share this anecdote with you today because our big idea in today's Bible uh, passage is that each of us has a testimony, a life story in which God has revealed himself to us, that we must learn to share with the rest of the world so that they might believe in him and experience his love through our text today in Acts chapter 22, we're going to examine why the Apostle Paul shared his testimony in the first place. We'll look at what the distinct elements of that testimony are, and we'll also learn a little bit about how to prepare and share our own testimony, our own story about how God is working in our lives. By the end of our time together, it's my prayer that we'll all have a stronger conviction that we too, like Paul, we have a story to tell. But we have to learn how to share it. We have to build an awareness of when to tell it. And we also need to depend on God's Holy Spirit for the conviction and the resolve to tell it when the time comes. Now, if you happen to be visiting here today, our church has been slowly making our way, chapter by chapter, through the New Testament book of Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament, following the four Gospels, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today I'll be speaking from Acts chapter 22. Before I do that, I think I should take just a short moment to recap all the action and all the drama that we uh, heard last week uh, from the exposition of Acts chapter 21 from my dear friend Stephen McCarg. Now in Acts 21, the Apostle Paul, having embarked on his third and final missionary journey, through several countries around the Aegean and Mediterranean Seas, he arrives back in Jerusalem to visit the remaining apostles and the church elders, and to also visit the large temple there. Now, upon arriving at the temple, we see that the crowd and the whole city was stirred up by accusations against Paul. We see that rioters had come running from all directions towards Paul, These rioters seized him. They dragged him from the temple. They shut the gates outside the temple. And where they had opportunity, some of the rioters beat Paul. They tried to kill him. Roman soldiers quickly intervened because their barracks were posted just outside the temple for cases just like this when things got out of hand. They arrested Paul. They chained Paul up. The Roman commander, trying to figure out what was going on, couldn't understand what was causing the ruckus because the noise of the crowd had gotten so great. And so he ordered for his soldiers to physically pick Paul up and carry him to their barracks because the crowd was pressing in on them. It was a very chaotic scene. Paul was saved by the intervention of this Roman commander And his soldiers who seized him, arrested him, and intended to take them back to their barracks. But Paul pleads with the commander and convinces him to address the crowd, which is where our text today begins. So I'll be reading now in Acts chapter 22, starting at verse 1. This is Paul speaking now. Brothers and sisters, excuse me, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, the crowd became very quiet. And then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I, stuttered, I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into the prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Now about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said. Get up and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then Ananias said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said. Leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. When Paul said this, the crowd listening to him, uh, excuse me, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. That's the end of the passage that I'll be reading for today. You see, what a scene. There's so much happening. There's so much drama and emotion. Today what we're going to do with this passage is focus exclusively on what Paul refers to in Acts 22 verse 1 as his defense, his testimony, his story. The first thing we're going to look at is why Paul shared his testimony. Can I just say, for starters, that I'm I'm absolutely astonished that Paul made the choices that he made in in this passage. Remember that the Roman soldiers were ready to physically carry Paul away from this bloodthirsty crowd to the safety and the privacy of their barracks. And if I were Paul's lawyer, if I were nearby, I would have counseled him, keep your mouth shut, let these guys do their job, we can plead your case, Assert your Roman citizenship. We could do all that in the privacy and peace and quiet of the Roman barracks. But no. Paul asks to stay outside the temple, to stay outnumbered and in danger, and to address this crowd that very much wants him dead. Why is that? Is Paul being stubborn? Is he being macho? I want to suggest that Paul is being faithful in the telling of his story of who Jesus is and what he's done in his life. But what do I mean by that? Faithful faithful to what or faithful to whom? To understand how Paul is being faithful, we have to go back to Acts chapter 9 where Paul has this miraculous encounter with Jesus which he described in his address to the crowd. Jesus reveals his plans for Paul to the disciple Ananias in Acts chapter 9. And during these three days in which Paul had been blinded by this light, Jesus appears to Ananias and he tells him in Acts chapter 9 verse 15 that this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. And then Jesus says this, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. As God's chosen instrument, Paul had most certainly preached the gospel and made disciples and trade leaders at this point among the Gentiles. We read a lot about that in Acts chapters 13 all the way through 20. But up until this point in his ministry, he had still not proclaimed the news of Jesus among the people of Israel outside of small rural synagogues around Asia and Greece. In the coming weeks, we'll witness Paul fully preaching the gospel of Jesus to God's people in Jerusalem all the way through until Acts chapter 26. And beyond that, we'll see him preach Jesus in Rome in Acts chapter 28 at the center of the most powerful empire in the ancient world just as Jesus had told Ananias that Paul would. So let's look at Paul's testimony here as he presents it to the Jewish crowd here in Jerusalem. As we break his story down, notice that it can be organized into three segments. He'll talk about who Paul was before he met Jesus. He'll describe how Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And he'll describe how Jesus has been changing Paul to be more like him. We'll start by looking at who Paul was before he met Jesus. Paul actually gives his testimony three different times in the book of Acts. He explains it in chapter 9, in chapter 22, what we're looking at right now, and also in chapter 26. And he also describes his past in many epistles that he writes throughout the New Testament. In each version of his story, it begins very much focused on his identity, be it before he ever really knew who Jesus was. Paul tells us about his cultural roots. He tells us about being born in the distinguished city of Tarsus and being raised in Jerusalem as an ethnic and a cultural and a religious Jew. Paul also tells us about his education, studying under the respected Pharisee Gamaliel, whom you could read about in Acts chapter 5 as a teacher of the law honored by all the people, well-respected, Uh, Gamaliel also personally intervened when the Sanhedrin, the group of religious leaders, wanted to put Peter and many other of Jesus' apostles to death. Paul also tells us about his behavior before meeting Jesus, which he typified as zeal for the Lord, to the point that he would be willing to persecute, arrest, and condemn others to death for their faith. Paul was basically the last person that anybody would ever expect to be accused of being a Christian. As a Pharisee, he would have been recognized as a dedicated student of God's word, much like we would regard the RBC elders. He knew his stuff. But his ambition, his zeal, his his passion were so strong in his youth that he had no ethical problems with resorting to violence. And that we cannot say about our RBC elders. In First Timothy, Paul describes himself as the worst of sinners, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man acting in ignorance and unbelief. You see, our Christian testimony, the story that we tell others about our relationship with God, is completely centered around the life-changing power of God. So naturally, we want to tell people about what we were like before Jesus revealed himself to us and before we placed our faith in him. So when you think about your own testimony, it's helpful to consider some of these elements that Paul shared, these elements that define who you were before God encountered you. Like Paul, you might want to share about what culture you grew up in, Or you might want to share about the education that you grew up with or your social or economic status or what your character or behavior might have been like. Or even possibly the childhood trauma that you grew up with. Everything can be relevant because the gospel changes our perspective on all these things. Let's look at how Jesus revealed himself to Paul. We've already described that quite a bit on this this road that Paul traveled to Damascus. Paul's encounter with Jesus had very specific and very extraordinary elements. We read about how Jesus visibly and audibly revealed himself to Paul. How Jesus included a miraculous sign with his revelation. Jesus also paired Paul with another person, Ananias, as both a participant and a witness to everything that was going on. And Jesus gave Paul a very specific mission. Now, most people will not have so dramatic an encounter with Jesus as Paul did. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son, Paul writes, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you want to know what God is like, you can look at Jesus and you will see the very same thing. In your testimony, the Holy Spirit is likely to have revealed the truth about Jesus to you in the Word of God. Possibly in a sermon, or a book that you're reading, or a conversation with another believer, or through a long line of many of these things, until your heart was changed and you were persuaded to believe. You might think that some testimonies have exciting moments of conversion like Paul's. And that perhaps your testimony in in comparison is dull or uninteresting. But every single testimony that someone has about coming to faith in Christ is a miracle. It is miraculous. And I know that because the Bible says so. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God not by works so that nobody can boast. That means even the faith that you have that is required to believe, Paul writes, is a gift from God. We have to grasp that Christians are not morally or spiritually superior human beings. We are not the elite few who have this special faith where other people lack it. God, by his grace, supplied our faith. And yes, we are occasionally obedient in exercising that faith that God gives us. When you tell your testimony, therefore, boldly proclaim the gift that you've received from God and give him the credit for that gift. How is Jesus changing Paul to be more like him? Let's look at this. In this third element, we see that a life that is encountered by Jesus is a life changed. Consider this, that in the year 32 A.D., Paul was in Jerusalem in the role of persecutor. He described how he cheered on and encouraged the violent murder of Stephen, the disciple. 25 years later, in 57 A.D., In in Acts chapter 22, Paul returns to Jerusalem, but this time he is in the role of the persecuted. Pleading with this angry mob for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you see the transformational power of the resurrected Jesus in Paul's life here as he completely changes from persecutor to persecuted, from sinner to saint? this man previously known for his violence would eventually be recognized by his humility where once he sought division now he strives for unity paul was a changed man not perfect but forgiven and redeemed again i'm going to cite 1st timothy chapter 1 this is the full text that paul shares starting at verse 12 paul writes I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a very violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Do you see what's happening here? These three elements who we were before we met Jesus, how Jesus revealed himself to us, and how Jesus is changing us, these make up the fabric of God's story for Paul. These same elements make up the fabric of God's story for you and for me. Now, each person's story is going to be different. Some stories will be dramatic, like Paul's featuring radical changes in behavior. Other people's stories will seem less so, like some of the disciples where Jesus just showed up to them one day and said, follow me, and they did. What matters is that all these stories are authored by God, who writes himself into your story as Jesus Christ, revealing himself as both author and character, God and man. All stories are miracles, and all stories are worth telling. Before I move on with this message, we're gonna listen to one story that's worth telling. I'm gonna ask my friend Daniel Muirhead to come up for a moment. Dan and his wife Heidi have been coming to RBC for the past two or three years with their four children, Sam, Elijah, Rebecca, and Hannah. I've been slowly getting to know Dan for, for some time now in my small group, and I'm very fortunate to call you my friend. So Dan, in your own words, could you tell us a little bit about what your life has been like before you knew Jesus? How did He show up in your life, and how has He been changing your heart ever since? Okay. Good
1: morning. Oh, it's a packed house. Nice. When um, when Louie asked me over the phone if I wanted to give my testimony. <laughs> no. <laughs> but that's not what came out. What did I say? Said, okay. <laughs> and that wasn't me. <laughs> Here it is. He wanted this, and I'm going to give it to you guys. Um, for those of you that don't know, I grew up in a church. Uh, my dad was a pastor of a church from a very young age that I was until probably early 20s. Um, all my memories is the church when I'm young, whether it be the the outings, the youth groups, uh, church on a Sunday, Bible studies at my house where I can't watch TV or watch sports. Um, It it was all about the church. Life was the church. Um, See, something happened to me when I was really, really, really young that made me believe in God, like I said, when I was very, very young. Um, my dad was having a Bible study at our house. I was about two or three years old. And he would asked my brother to go make sure that Dan is sleeping. When my brother came into the room, he did what he did. He went back to my dad and said, Listen, Dad, Daniel's not listening to me. His eyes are open, but he's not listening. My dad found that odd. So he came into the room and he looked at me. And I wasn't even breathing. So they rushed me to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, the doctors did some checkups on me. They put me on the machine because I wasn't even breathing on my own. They had to make me breathe with the machine. They came to tell my father and whoever was at the Bible study that was in the room with him that it wasn't looking good. They didn't know what was going on. I wasn't breathing on my own, and they they, they were dumbfounded. Of course, they began to pray. About 30 or 45 minutes later, a doctor came out and said, I have never seen a miracle in my life, but today I've seen a miracle. Your son has started breathing on his own. So from that day on, I felt like God, like I was God's man, right? Like he he chose me. Like he's got a big plan for me. And I was excited for it. you know? Am I going to be like Abraham, or Moses, or Noah, or Samson? Well, that one's out the window. <laughs> but I truly, truly, truly believed that God had a big plan for me. It wasn't until I was about 15 where I decided to get baptized. And thinking back now, I realize that I didn't get baptized. For, I mean, some of the reasons were, were right. <laughs> And some of the reasons were wrong. Some of the reasons that were wrong was I was getting baptized because some of my friends from other churches were getting baptized. I felt like I'd been waiting since 15 now for this big God's plan for Dan to happen, and it wasn't happening, so the next logical step is to get baptized. So that's what I did. And people that get baptized know what I'm talking about when I talk about the fire, the fire within. That dissipated pretty quickly, to be honest with you. And then my double life started. You know the one where you're a Christian with Christians and you're a non-Christian with non-Christians? The hypocrite? That was me. But I realized I was angry. I wasn't angry at God, though. I was angry at the church. Everything I'd seen in the church was everything that I didn't believe in. There was hypocrisy going on in the church. There was definitely, definitely a lot of judgmental people in a church. I mean, a community that's not supposed to be judgmental can be the worst sometimes. I'm not talking about this church. I'm just talking in general. My dad was never home, always taking care of the church people. They had problems. Well, I guess we had none because he was never around. So I was very angry about this. I was seeing, I was seeing churches being built and being dissolved. Elders thinking a certain passage, they want, they, they, they want, it, they want it to push the church in a certain direction. Other elders feel that it should be the other action, and what do they do? They quarrel, they fight, and then the church just dissipates. So I was angry. Then I led the life I want to lead. Was I still reading my Bible? Yes. Was I going to church? No. I wanted nothing to do with the church. Finally, one night, I prayed to God and I told him, if I am your man, if you have this big plan for me, then I have to, I'll tell you what I need. I need a Christian woman. That is what I need in my life right now. Because if I don't get it, I'm not going to be the man you want me to be. Two weeks later, my grandmother passes away. My grandfather calls that week and says, Dan, do you mind coming to church with me? Sure, Gramps, I'll go to church with you. We're at Rosemount Bible Church. We're right here. And the sermon ends, and I get up, and the lovely lady in front gets up, and we locked eyes. And where's my wife right now? There she is. Heidi and I started going to Rosemount, I started having kids, and at one point, we moved. Went to Gay and then we started going to a church called Calvary Baptist Church. And still yet, I had that. There was no love for the church. I didn't even feel like home, to be honest with you. So we stopped going. Then something big happened. I don't know if you guys went through it or not. Something called covid And uh, what happened was uh, Heidi's brother passed away just as COVID was starting. And um, our nephew Jonah had to come live with us. And I remember asking God, like, what is going on? I have another human in my house who's going to be looking at me. What is it you're trying to tell me here? What am I supposed to do? So you know what I did? Start reading the Bible. Started from the beginning right to the end. My second time in my life, I went through the whole Bible. But this time was different i was i was seeing I was seeing all the stories we know more as a human aspect, more understanding what was going on in their lives and a bit of time went by, and I remember Stephen asking me a couple of couple of years in a row if I wanted to come to parkside to um to help out and i just I didn't want to go. things weren't aligned. But two years ago, I called Stephen, and I said, Stephen, I have something for you. I think I know how I can, I can do this and do God's work and help you out. He says, what do you got? I said, listen, again, not this church. I'm just going to be very broad. when you're a kid and you go to Sunday school, I remember being driven to, to, to church, and all you're thinking about is the munchkins you're going to eat or the donuts or the cookies and the milk and the juice, and then you're going to learn about a little story and you're going to draw about it. And it's okay, I I get it, but I just felt like the kids, sometimes they need to see that human aspect of exactly what's going on rather than this superhero we hear about all the time. So I told Stephen, what we'll do is you're going to, Choose a theme. You're going to choose a person you want to talk about. And what I'll do is I'll come out at night. I'll dress up like the person. I'll talk like the person. I'll be that person. And I'll show them the human aspect to it all. (sighs) Hold on. I never leave home without this. He he allowed me to do something I loved. That was for him. So Stephen, thank you for saying yes. I was finally being used by him, in a way that I wanted to be used, in a way I knew it could really give to the people. And now if I've done this for two years. I'm going to do this a third year. We're going to do David this year. It's going to be awesome. So again, Stephen, just thank you for saying yes and allowing me to grow this way. Right after church, uh, right after camp, the first year, I felt this burning sensation inside, like I was being used. I wanted to be used even more. So, I remember sitting my family down and saying, "You know, guys, we're going to go back to church and we're going to go to Rose Mountain." I just felt like this was the place I had to be, and I wanted to be here with my family. And it's allowed us to, to, to be with you people. It's allowed us to, to, to grow with yous. And I know time is elapsing. I've got to get through this, and I will. Because God was tugging at me, I was thinking of myself and how I could be of use to the church, let's just say. Everybody has superpowers. Everybody. But I got two big ones. I'm an emotional guy, as you can see. And it's easy for me to love people. So that's what I bring to this church. I want you guys to be transparent with each other. I've seen, how many times we say, how are you? And we say, good. All's good. The reality is, it's not what we want to hear. If you have a problem, there's something going on, I want you guys to be transparent with each other. How else are we supposed to laugh with one another? Cry with one another? Pray for each other? Understand each other? Instead of being superficial, let's make it real. Because the reality is God has put me here and he's put you all here. We're here for each other for a reason. Let's grow together. And if you want, I'll be at the back after church for some free hugs. I give free hugs to everybody.
0: Thank you, Dan, for sharing what God is doing in your life, sharing the joy and the love that he's given you to give to others. As we wrap up, I just want to remind us that Jesus is the author and the main character of your life story. If you don't know Jesus yet as your personal Savior, you're just still experiencing that first part of this story. This sermon might be one of the seeds, or Dan's testimony might be one more seed that God is planting in your life today, in which he reveals himself to you, who he is, what he's like, how much he loves you, and how Jesus died and rose again for you to enjoy a lifelong relationship with him. I wonder if today might be your road to Damascus day. Could today be the day that God gives you the faith that you need to believe in him? And would you exercise that faith today? Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're feeling unworthy or dirty or somehow not good enough to be loved by God, you're in good company because we are all like that. The Bible also says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. You don't need to know the right things or act the right way or know the right people for God to welcome you in and accept you into his family. You just have to believe. And yes, if you do that, even right now, you will be saved And being saved is awesome. Heaven will be great. And your life will be changed like Dan's, and that's great too. But mostly, you will experience and share the love of God until the end of time and beyond. If you have been a Christian for some time, I'd like you to I'd like to encourage you to to cultivate a, an, an awareness that your story didn't end the day you were saved. God continues to shape your mind, change your heart to be more like his sons. Consider Paul who changed from persecutor to persecuted over 25 years. Maybe you haven't lived 25 years yet. Or maybe you don't think you have 25 years left. But imagine what God can do. Examine your heart. All lives touched by Jesus should resemble his more and more with every passing year. One last little point of application to consider. Like Paul, the Holy Spirit will present opportunities for you to share your testimony. And like Paul, you're going to have to depend on the Spirit's power rather than your own for courage and conviction to follow through with your witness and tell your story when the time comes. What about your story? Have you ever shared your testimony before? Would you know where to start? It's very rare indeed to come to a church service and get homework. In fact, this might be the very first time, but I'd like to give some homework today. I'd like to challenge each of you to consider writing your own testimonies this week, following this very simple three-step outline. What were you before you came to faith in Jesus? What were you like? How would you describe your upbringing, your character, your attitude towards God and towards other people? What were you passionate about? Maybe what were you angry about back then? Or what were you struggling with? How did Jesus finally reveal himself to you? Did it all happen in this big grand moment? Or did it happen like drops over a period of time? Did you hear God's word through a sermon like this one? Or a podcast? Or a book? Or a friend? How did your aha moment come when you finally believed? And what has your life been like since giving your faith to Jesus? How has the gospel changed the way that you think about money or power or sex? What changes might those closest to you see in your life, in the way that you think or talk or act? What people is God putting in your life, like Dan, to bless you or to bless In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes that the gospel story is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Your testimony, your story about how God uh, revealed himself to you, how you believed in Jesus' gospel, is a very powerful companion to the gospel story in your witness to the people around you in your life. Now, if you do take the time to write your testimony... I really want to encourage all people here in Rosemount Bible Church to spend time sharing your testimonies with one another. If you're in a family with other people here, share them at the supper table. Kids and parents, grandparents, grandchildren, cousins. If you're in a Rosemount Bible Church small group, like Dan and I are in a small group together, I encourage the small groups to spend one evening, dedicate one evening just for the telling of testimonies. It's a great way to receive blessing as you hear what God is doing in other people's lives. It's also good practice for when you might be called upon by the Holy Spirit to share your testimony with someone who doesn't know Jesus yet. In closing, please don't underestimate the power of God's story in your life. The world may be filled with very loud voices, just like in 1961 declaring that there is no God But your testimony, as humble as it might be, softly declares and confidently declares that in my experience, that hasn't been the case. In the Gospel of John, a small crowd brought a man who had recently healed by Jesus. They brought him to the Pharisees for examination. And the the Pharisees had all kinds of questions for the man about his alleged illness, about whether Jesus was a sinner or not. And the man simply replied this in his testimony. He said, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is that I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you for receiving all the worship that we lifted up to you. Thank you for revealing yourselves, yourself, God, in, in, in all the different ways that we experience this morning. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us ears to hear, that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding. We pray that you would give us faith, God, and the strength and conviction to act on that faith. Lord, as Dan shared, we pray that we would would be generous in sharing our lives, our relationships, our faith, our stories with one another today, even now. In Jesus' name, amen.